You didn't know what you were getting into when you booked an Airbnb experience to go horseback riding in southern Brazil. But soon, you became a part of the Gaúcho community, and the centerpiece, in fact, of their annual parade. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. I just had this moment where I'm just galloping down this dirt road, really thinking I'm going to fall off, which I later did. Just, my God, what would people think? Like, this, I'm a tennis player from Little Rock, you know? I don't gallop down dirt roads in southern Brazil in a bareback race. And I lost spectacularly, of course. I lost my knife. I lost, <laughs> lost the race, later fell off, but still definitely put it in the good category. This week, being told you have horse in your blood, dressing like a gaushu, eating like a gaushu, and riding like a gaushu, and a reminder that you're never too old to discover a new passion. Join us on a journey from Little Rock, Arkansas, to Porto Alegre, Brazil, where we pick up some horses along the way. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And that's what we call cultural exchange. Yes. My name is Lindsay Lyles, and I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. And I've just finished a Fulbright teaching assistantship in Brazil. My second day and I had gone to the supermarket and I had sort of dipped into Portuguese before coming, but not too much. And I was thinking that my Spanish would help me more than it actually ended up helping me as I found out quite distinct, (laughs) quite different. So I went to the supermarket, tried to buy an avocado. So I get my avocado and I walk up to check out and the cashier is just pointing at my avocado and pointing at the back of the store and just talking, talking, talking. I have no idea what what she's saying. And I'm so embarrassed because there's about 20 people behind me. And so I'm totally humiliated. I'm just pointing at it and saying, I want avocado. I want avocados like a three-year-old. And so finally, it turns out she's got to walk me to the back of the store. um, And I find that you have to weigh your vegetables before checking out. So things like that certainly make you feel like a foreigner because such a simple task suddenly becomes this almost insurmountable obstacle. You know, you just, I just, how would I have known that you need to weigh your vegetables at the back of the store? It's, it's an adjustment, but you just have to be able to laugh at yourself and know that it will get better. But, oh, you, you just feel like an idiot, <laughs> for lack of a better word. lost my keys in an uber completely my own fault i just just left them so i went back to my apartment realized i don't have my keys i'm I'm totally locked out and it's my neighbors that made me feel like i was really part of that community i had about six neighbors come and try to help me i mean the first offered me his keys to his own apartment so that i could get in because they had about three doors so he was trying to give me his key so that i could at least get in the building I had someone give me the number to a locksmith, and then my favorite, someone came and and very 
clearly meaning it, said, oh, well, we'll just break into the unused apartment upstairs and then I'll let you down to your patio using my bed sheets. <laughs> I said, oh, my God, no, thank you. <laughs> but I was like, oh, it really made me feel like I was part of the building. I was part of the community and people were willing to sort of go out on a limb and help me. And eventually I did call the locksmith and he did come. And I was so excited to get in my apartment because it had been about two days at this point of me struggling along. He he asked me if he could danificar the lock and I didn't know the word. So I just didn't care. And I said, yeah, do whatever. He just shatters my door. <laughs> just takes a hammer out and just totally breaks it. So it didn't end up so well for me, but <laughs> but I did feel like part of the community. And so I ended up, through a stroke of luck, making friends with a Gausha woman who then sort of introduced me to the whole community. From the moment she met me from the first time we rode together, she she just told me very matter-of-factly, horses are in your blood, I smell it on you. And I'm like, oh, this woman is crazy. And, and I say as much to her, and she said, yes, I'm crazy, as if it were normal. And so we always had a running joke that, you know, she was crazy, but she wasn't stupid. <laughs> And she had such a deep love of horses, respect for horses, understanding of them, which she was able to pass on to me. And she made every effort to show me so many aspects of Gaucho culture. Everything I got to do was because of her. And she was a vet, but she wanted to be close to her horses, so she actually lived in a barn. And so, I mean, she was she was wild. She would do it. There was nothing this woman wouldn't do. So I ended up, you know, staying in the barn with her many nights to go on early rides. We we took our horses swimming in the lake together. I mean, there's there's very little ground that I did not cover around that area with her. <laughs> so I guess a, an assumption I'd had about the Gaucho community was that it it was very much about the men uh, and that the women were sort of more stay at home than the men are out, the ones actually on the horses. And this was just absolutely shattered. I mean, the women are as, they're as tough and as rowdy as the men. Um, so I, I joined a, a women's gaucha riding group. And so we would go out on some Sundays and all ride together. And I mean, <laughs> they were nothing like the meek stay at home type whatsoever you know they, and they wear the pants that the men do you know the traditional bombashes those wide pants that you think of when you when you think of the south american cowboy uh so i think yeah i was totally wrong about the women they were i, I would bet my money on one of those women in any fight <laughs> I basically started riding there from scratch. I had always really liked horses. You know, as a little kid, I sort of had the the classic obsession with horses. I read a lot of horse books, but I lived in the city and I was a tennis player my whole life. So I never had the opportunity to really learn. So when I moved there, then I saw an Airbnb experience for her. She's only had two horses. And so I said, oh, why not? So I, I did that. And then I got to be very close friends with her and she taught me everything. I suppose I spent about seven months learning to ride in the traditional gaucho way with their, the saddle that they use, uh, as well as bareback, side saddle. I learned to jump. I learned to lasso. I, really, I did things I probably should not have been doing given my experience level. Most of them just asked, like, oh, you, you rode in the States and you just wanted to keep up 
you know, your experience. And I, I always had to say, oh, no, actually, I'm just learning from y'all. So I actually think they quite like that. Uh, I think they felt that I was legitimately very interested in their culture and in their way with horses. They've got, you know, their own way of training. They've got their own, their own way of saddling. They've got their own, you know, equipment. One of the reasons I was able to integrate as well as I was is that I was learning from the ground up. I didn't come in saying, oh, well, this is how I do it at home. You know, it was more I took their word for it. <laughs> so I think I think they, they did appreciate anything I know about horses I learned from the go shows. <laughs> I think in terms of observing the gaucho horsemanship, I don't know that it was crazy, but it was certainly impressive. They have a competition called Hedgia, which is raining, and the way that they're in tune with their horse, the idea of the competition is to make your horse do crazy things without appearing to have made your horse do crazy things, and so they turn these wild circles, and they gallop, and then they stop, and all without any verbal or visible bodily commands. And so I, I was invited to watch one of those competitions, and I was just floored by the harmony between the horse and the rider. I've never seen anything like that. I mean, because they've got the horse just turning circles, 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 so fast, and then stopping so fast they almost sit down, all without the gaucho even appearing to have asked them to. It was really amazing. For the majority of the time that I was there, this woman that I was friends with, she had two horses, and she always gave me one called Helena, who was smaller, and as Karina always said to me, she has a mind of her own, and so if the rider tells her to do something stupid, she'll she'll ignore you. And so Karina would always tell me, you know, that's why I give you Helena, because if you say something stupid to her, she's happy to disregard you. So I was sort of, I rode her for months and months. And then finally, one day, Karina told me, do you know what? Today, I'm going to let you ride the other horse, Kvalich Fogo, who she said, this horse would do what you told him, even if it was stupid. So I felt like, oh, I've actually, <laughs> I've actually made progress that I'm to be trusted to ride this, this horse that might actually obey me. <laughs> she let me take him out by myself and just, I just ended up galloping all around the, all around the dirt roads. Uh, very, very proud of myself. <laughs> So uh, Karina and I had just taken our horses to a beach on, on a lake, and we had taken them swimming, which was an experience in itself, as much horrifying as it was enjoyable. And so we'd just come up onto the beach, which is sandy, right? And it's sort of a swamp-like looking ecosystem. And so I didn't really know what to expect. So we're just riding along the beach. I've never ridden on a horse on sand before. And suddenly, as far as I can tell, Elena starts sinking, and I'm just absolutely terrified. So I start screaming quicksand because I thought it was quicksand. You know, there's nothing like thinking you're going to die that makes you revert to your native language. So then I translate it into area hapila, which is fast sand, which is not the word for quicksand. And she's laughing at me. And I jump off the horse, still convinced that we're dying in quicksand. And then Karina is just laughing, laughing, laughing. And I turn around and my horse is rolling. 
she had just she was like a dog you know how they'll roll after the wet so we laughed I mean she oh she could not contain her laughter at me because I was in in true terror you know I thought I was sinking in quicksand and that my horse was going to die and that I was too <laughs> so oh gosh and of course she told everyone I mean there was not a gaucho who didn't have to hear that story from her <laughs> so definitely laughter at my expense but well deserved <laughs> Even the way that I would get out to the Gaucho community was a bit rough. You know, I would get an invitation for some, from somebody and they would say, oh, yeah, you, you take the bus and then you get off at the weird shaped tree and then you turn left at the car thief's house and then you walk till you start to get tired and then you'll recognize my horse out front. You know, so that was sort of what I was working with. And I had to get about, it took me about two hours to even get outside of the city every day that I went out there. So, and it was through the poorest areas. Uh, so, you know, there was certainly, I suppose, some risk involved, but I always felt like once you're part of the community and you're known around there, then nothing is going to happen to you. Pretty much everybody knows everybody. And so on Sundays, usually there's quite a few opportunities for traditional rides, and that might be mixed company. That might be just a women's ride. So I just sort of bounced between. I did I did all sorts. But I always enjoyed the women's rides because they would have one man who would ride with us in front of us, sort of carrying the Higuranji the Sul flag, and then we would all be behind. And so that was it was nice. What Southern Brazil is known for is Chahasco, which is a sort of a cowboy barbecue, for lack of a better term. And so after the traditional rides, and you would all go back to a barn, and they would have this big brick oven, and every rider would bring an offering of meat. And that could be ribs, it could be steak, it could be chicken, it could be sausage. And then they would grill it all uh, and serve it on a huge wooden cutting board, and nobody had plates, nobody had anything, uh, it's all communal. And so sort of as the meat comes off, then you go and you take your little gaucho knife and you cut yourself a piece. And so chasco definitely was my favorite food. And it's all—it's not just the food itself that's excellent because it's just salty meat. Um, it's sort of the community around it and the communal experience of eating chasco. The gauchos are very proud of their knives. After doing one of the rides when I had not yet, I didn't have the clothes. I didn't have the traditional clothes, which everyone does wear. Then Karina had taken me the next time, and we were on horseback, and she said, Lindsay, we, we have to make a stop. So I said, okay, great. I love to make stops. And she takes me to the store, and she's like, how much money do you have? I said, I have $50. And she said, okay. So she walks in, and she, this man is is there to help us. And she says, we have an American, and she needs to be a gaucho. What can you do? And so I just am sort of totally out of it. It's like when you see somebody on TV getting a makeover and they've got no say whatsoever. And so they've had me just sitting down. They bring me bombashes. They bring me the boots. They get me a hat. They get me a belt. And I've got no say whatsoever. So I finally, I've got my outfit. And then finally they say, okay, Lindsay, this is the one thing you get to choose. You can choose your knife. So they walk me over to this case of knives and I've got to hold every knife because apparently the knife makes the gaucho. <laughs> So I got to, there's a certain way they, they tuck into your belt when you're riding. Uh, so I lost one that way. So I had to replace it. But now I've got the trick down. Carry my knife even now. <laughs> my gaucho knife. I didn't bring it today. I probably wouldn't have gone through security. But
towards the end of the grant, I was invited to join a group that was going to ride in a traditional parade, which uh, yearly Puerto Alegre puts on sort of a month-long celebration of gaucho culture, which culminates in a parade through the city. So I was invited to join a group, and I was invited to ride side saddle as the centerpiece of that group, because not many people will ride side saddle because, frankly, it's quite uncomfortable, <laughs> but unpleasant. And not that many people even have a side saddle, but Karina, my friend, she had a side saddle, and so she sort of had trained me. And so I think w when I was riding in the parade, I was looking out, at all these people looking at me riding side saddle on my horse. And I, I realized that they didn't know that I wasn't Brazilian. I think that was a moment when I felt particularly like, oh, I've actually done something here. Like I've become a part of the Gaucho community. Uh, well, I bet, but I am American and all of, and everyone in my riding group knew that. And they sort of, they joked the whole time, like, oh, we've got an American as our centerpiece, but they were quite proud, too, because they thought it was neat for them to have a foreigner riding with them, a foreigner that they had sort of formed into this gaucha. You better get off your high horse. Oh, baby, you're riding kind of high tonight. I know that you rate a high horse. Oh, baby. The Gauchos are very traditional, very conservative, sort of closed community who take care of their own. And what I would hope is that in opening their doors to me, then maybe they saw that something different doesn't always have to be something to resist. Uh, and I hope that they would maybe be more receptive to differences and more receptive to, to foreigners. Oh, baby, if you've been asked to me, I've been nice to you. I'm 26, not that that's particularly old, but I had thought that at that by that point of turning 26, I would have figured out already like, okay, what are my strengths? What are my hobbies? What do I like to do with my time? But then in falling in with the gauchos and learning to ride, I just discovered this whole new passion of mine. And I discovered that I, I like, I sort of have an aptitude for it. The main thing I learned is that it's never too late to find a passion of yours and never too late to learn something new. And it's okay to be bad at something. I discovered something that I, I, I love more than I've almost ever loved any hobby is horses and the cultures that develop around them. So yeah, having the freedom to take, you know, nine months and explore something that you would never otherwise have the flexibility to explore is invaluable in both professional and personal development, I think. I think what I, one of my main takeaways from the, from my time in Brazil was that if you're adaptable and if you're open-minded, you absolutely never know what can happen to you. Because had I not signed up for this Airbnb experience, nothing, you know, it never would have happened. And so I guess it made me, it just made me think, if you say, if you're open to things, if you say yes to things, then any number of things might happen to you. So there's, there's certainly, there's never any closed path in life. Because even when you're on a path, you can certainly have multiple branches that you can take while there. So I think, yeah, that makes me optimistic because, you know, leaving somewhere that you've made a life and you've made relationships is very, very sad. 
But on the same note, knowing that that can happen again and that it will, that'll keep you keep you optimistic. Twenty two thirty three is produced by the Collaboratory an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week... Lindsay Lyles reminisced about learning to ride horses with Brazilian cowboys as part of the Fulbright English Teaching Assistant, or ETA, program. For more about Fulbright and other ECA exchange programs, you can check out eca.state.gov. We always encourage you to subscribe to 2233, leave us a nice review while you're at it, and we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. And you can find us at Instagram at 2233 underscore stories. Special thanks to Lindsay for taking the time to share her stories. Ana Maria Sinatine did the interview and edited this segment. Featured music was Brazil by Les Elgert, Larry Elgert, and their music. Entwined Oddity and Paramo Ocho by Blue Dot Sessions. Whiplash String Swell by Poddington Bear, Better Get Off Your High Horse by Woody Herman and his orchestra, and Italo Texan Interlude by Fizz Itch. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagirlius. Until next time.